We've been talking about our call of getting uh, to bring people out of their prisons. We've been using this this uh, this illustration for a couple of months. The enemy comes and tries to isolate us, tries to wall us off from the love of God and from the fellowship of people who can help and lead us and guide us. And we've been speaking for two months about we being people who cause climate change. People who come into places where others are caught, others are trapped in various kinds of prisons. And we've been inviting you to find your person and to fight for them, just as we were doing earlier this morning in the service. Love them, serve them, encourage them, pray for them, pray with them. We are a people that battle for things that matter in this house. There are really only two things that consume our time and our attention. The first is our connection with God. And the second is the relationship that we have with people that God brings across our path. All of it's important. All of it's our focal point. And this morning, I want to take you to a portion of Scripture that talks about how we're to be dressed or how we're to be equipped as a warrior for people. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and tells us, this is how you dress when you go into warfare. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So you, 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 you dress for that battle in a specific way. But Peter, the Apostle of Hope, writes about how you should dress when you're fighting for people. Not with people, but for people. Peter writes two letters to a group of five churches, five congregations in a region. And the first letter is to encourage them to be faithful despite the incredible persecution and hardship that they're going through. This second letter was written to warn them about the dangers that were around them. Dangers that were wanting to and and attempting to take them away from their work of battling for people that are enslaved, people that are kept in prison and at a distance from God, keeping them away from their God-given purpose. I I want you to go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you have to look it up in your your, uh, index, that's okay. Don't, Don't feel bad about that. Uh, but Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to cover seven verses this morning. My focus is, is on the middle three. However, the first few verses and the last few verses are so rich and full of meaning that I, I can neither leave them alone nor can I do them justice this morning. And hopefully we can come back to them sometime soon. But, but Peter, the Apostle of Hope, is speaking to you warriors, speaking to me this morning personally. He's, he's challenging you and I to partner with God and be all that you were meant to be, all that I was meant to be in God. And so 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, this is what it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and grace. That, that verse in itself could be like three weeks of, of just a good series. But Peter is speaking to a group of churches, speaking to five congregations that are not rich in resources or, or in cash. And there's a pressure coming from the outside, governments and, and, and culture that's trying to persecute and trying to extinguish the life and influence of these churches. 
And then inside, there are, are, are people who have wandered in, false teachers who are trying to infiltrate the ranks and, and water down the power of the gospel that they're declaring. And, and, and there are people who claim to love and to serve Jesus, but are involved in all sorts of wrong kinds of living and immorality and sin. And, and, and there are people who are standing inside the church and saying that they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that he's ever coming back for his church. And so how much more is there in the Bible that we can't believe in? And, and, and so that's another pressure. And then there's some, some leaders who are either shutting their eyes to all the problems inside the church or, or a few that are looking at the opportunities. How can I leverage my position here to make some And so these churches are going through some pretty hard times. It would be so easy for them to get discouraged, to pull back, and, 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 and to just say there's so much difficulty, so much trouble that's going on day after day that I, I think I'm just going to quit. I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But Peter says to them, the divine power of God has given you everything that you need to succeed. That's pretty important. You need to underline that. The divine power of God has given you everything that you need to succeed. Everything you need for living a godly life. You don't have to figure this thing out on your own. You don't have to negotiate the terms for your own strength and, and capabilities. God is here. He has endowed. He has empowered you with his own power to make, make sure that everything that you need is within your reach. When you invited Christ into your heart, he came and he brought all that he is and all that he has, and he lives right here. And that's more than enough for anything that you face. The thought that I want you to get here is that you have everything that you need within your reach. You're partnered with God and all that he is and all that he has is yours. I'd love to spend more time on this verse, but we can't. Verse uh, 4 says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Again, so much information packed into so few words. But Peter says that the promises of God, which are neither empty or false, but they are, yes, they will happen, and amen, let them happen to me now. They have power for you. These promises have power for you. They allow you to share his, his divine nature and escape the corruption that have kept the human race mired in the muck and the hopelessness for far too long. God has said that he will give you the power to do the job that he's called you to do. He has guaranteed that if you obey his instruction and if you keep connected in relationship, he will empower you, he will lead you, he will give you wisdom that is above and beyond your own wisdom, that he will bring favor your way, that he will give you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome obstacles and difficulties, whatever you need. Whenever you need it, God is more than enough and will ensure that you share his divine nature and soar over the corruption that is caused by damaging human appetites. These promises that he has made in this word 
are yours, they're mine. So far, very encouraging. It's all God. It's His promises. It's His power. It's His glory and His moral excellence that's at work in us is is what this Apostle of Hope, Peter, says. He's doing all the heavy lifting. God is looking after us. The focus is on God and who He is and what He can do. And that's a fabulous focus. And that's what our worship has been doing this morning. Bringing us to an understanding. Bringing us to a focus point of seeing God for who He is and for what He can But Peter says, and now we're called into a partnership, and so that's God's part, and now let's talk about our part. Let's talk about you and me and the part that we play. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's a nice promise. But every promise that he makes has a connection, has a, has a part that we have to play, has a, has a response part. And he says, let's make every, respond, every effort to respond to God's promises. In just a couple of weeks or so, you'll start to see a series of, of ads in all sorts of media that appeals to your New Year's resolution. They will be counting on you to say that in 2018 or 2019, you want to be slim, trim, and fit. <laughs> and they're going to ask you to buy a membership from their gym. And the membership is going to be offered at a phenomenal price. And the models that stand before you are going to be a fabulous incentive. If you take out a membership like this in our gym, you're going to be jacked and ripped and and, and like these strangers. And and you're going to come, strangers are going to come to you and ask to wash their clothes on your your six-pack. That's the promise. But you can pay the money and you can accept their offer and believe their promise. But if you do not go to that gym and put in the effort, nothing's going to happen. Next Christmas, you're going to be another year older and deeper in debt. And maybe a pound or two more than you are this year. You'll be the same you that you are right now, despite your investment of money and your belief in the promise. Peter says that this is true with God as well. You have to put every effort into responding to the power and the promises that are given by God. All of a sudden, the focus isn't just on God, but it's on the partnership, and now it's my turn to pony up. You can believe, and that's a good and right thing, But you have to invest more. You have to make an effort. You have to to commit to doing the work. And Peter gets to the point, and and he gets very practical. He said, you have faith. You, You believed in Jesus Christ. You invited him into your life. Now to that faith, add. Some, Some versions say, put on. Cloak yourselves. And so, verse 5, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. 
this phrase is power-packed. First of all, it's an imperative. It means that if, if you wish to have success in this spiritual life, you can't just opt in and opt out at your own convenience. For, for success, you must add to your faith moral excellence. You must become a person of character. The second thing is that the word supplement or add to your faith is the same word that we get when we talk about chorus or choreography. In ancient Greece, the the state would hire singers. They would put together a chorus, but then they would give the responsibility to a director to choreograph the concert, to train the voices, to put together the production. Peter is saying that as a believer, we are to furnish, we're to supply, we're to support the life that God gives to us with these virtues. You see, God calls you, He empowers you, He gives you His promise, He gives you His ability, but you support all of that by having these virtues at work in your life, by refining, by building, by strengthening these virtues. Faith in Jesus Christ separates us from the rest of the world. There's only two kinds of people, those who have found Jesus, who know Jesus, who believe in Jesus, and those who have not found him yet. And so because we have found him, or more correctly, he's found us. We're different from the rest of the world. We have said that we trust, we follow, we obey him. That's faith. Now support that faith with moral excellence. Determine. Decide that you're not going to live according to the broken appetites that the world lives by. That you will live as instructed to live in God's Word. That when you say yes, it means yes. That when you say no, you won't compromise, you won't break down, you won't get soft and go where you're not supposed to go. That you are a person of moral integrity. That you're the same person when you're alone and unwatched and unseen by anybody else as you are in public. That's integrity. In virtually every sector of society right now, we're witnessing people who are admired for their talents, their strength, their voice, their abilities on important issues. But now they're disgraced because they didn't look after character. We're living in a world where character is making a comeback. When you're in the third floor of a burning building and the fireman puts the ladder to your window and comes to pull you out and carry you down, 
you don't stop and say, are you a good fireman? Are you faithful to your wife? Did you file the correct numbers on your income tax? You're just glad that the big brute's there to get you. But people who are in prisons have been there because they've been lied to and they've been cheated. They've been treated badly and and wrongly. And before they put trust in anyone, a commodity for them that's very difficult, they need to know that you're a person of moral character. Determined to live with moral excellence. And then Peter goes on and he says, supplement your moral excellence with with knowledge. Add to your moral excellence a strong sense of knowing God. Again, he's speaking of spiritual knowledge, not of an intellectual pursuit of superiority. It's to know God and to know His ways. To to pursue God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, to to know Him and how He works and and what He values and how He responds and, and how He responds to faith. The knowledge comes from from three main sources. The first source is the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth and understanding. Holy Spirit brings spiritual hunger into our lives so that we want to know God. We want to follow God, follow His ways. And the second is, is through our focus on God. Just getting up in the morning and saying, God, what do you have planned for today? What is it that you want me to see? What is it that you want me to hear? How do you want me to learn and develop and grow today? Building relationships so that He can reveal Himself to you. He can speak to you about who you are and what you're to do and what you're to become. And finally, it's a commitment to this this book, the Word. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The closer that we become linked with God, the greater our knowledge and spiritual understanding. And we know that He is in the situation and and we know what His agenda is and we know what our role is. And Peter says, this is your responsibility. This is your part of the partnership. Dress up for battle by putting on spiritual understanding. Does that make sense? Debbie and I have been married. It'll be uh, 31 years in December. And I can walk into a room just because I know her. And I can say to her, without her saying a word, how bad's your headache? And she'll say, it's not bad. It's okay. And I'll say, I think it's an eight. And she'll say, yeah, it's an eight. But we know each other. We, we read each other. We, we're one. And Peter says, that's what I want for you and God. He goes on, verse 6, And to knowledge add self-control, 
and self-control, patience, patient endurance. Peter had no idea how hard a sell this would be in the year 2018. You see, the world that we live in says that if you feel like doing it, then do it. Just do it. If you don't want to do it, if you're not up to it emotionally or physically or spiritually, then forget it. Opt out. Don't show up. But self-discipline is the ability to have yourself, have your passions, have your appetites, have your emotions, your expectations under control so that they don't dictate your response. You dictate your response. You're in control. You respond accordingly. But Peter understands the battle that we're in for the well-being and the freedom of people. And he says that if you don't have self-control, if you don't have discipline, you're going to come to a place where you give up before the battle is won. You'll become distracted by, by things that are not primary concern and you will walk away from the mission. Paul carries that same metaphor on when he speaks to self-control and discipline in 2 Timothy 2.4. He says, soldiers don't get, get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Self-control is to pay attention, to pay heed, to obey everything that the king tells us to do. I had a leader in my life for a season that challenged me to test my disciplines regularly. He suggested that I choose something that had a place in my life and for two or three months delete that thing from my life. And in that two or three months to measure, to see if that thing controlled me, or if I controlled that thing. I've tested all sorts of things with this, this little test. I've tested TV, sweets, I've tested attitudes, purchasing habits, words. And, and I found it to be an incredible help in understanding whether I have self-control and discipline in certain areas. If I'm going to successfully battle for the lives of people, then I have to be disciplined enough to stay focused on the mission. That responsibility rests on me. My phone has picked up a horrible habit in the last three weeks. I think it's the last update, but Sunday morning, as I'm standing at the door waiting for Debbie to come, it flashes on and it says to me, this week you have spent X number of hours per day of screen time on your phone. It's a nasty habit because I'm always surprised by the number. 
and I try to justify the number. Well, I read the newspaper on it. I answer questions on it. I take pictures with it. I check up on what all of you are doing on social media. And I guess that's how I get to that huge number. I think my phone's in for a test pretty soon. Patience. You're not going to like this definition, but it's the true one. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. If you're patient, could you just stand in the room? We want to all come and touch the hem of your garment and hope that some of that virtue flows to us. I I have to admit to you, I am not a patient person. I have to admit to you, that's not one of my strengths. I, I want it to happen right now. I want results and no mess, no fuss, no trouble, no difficulty. This is an area that I'm attempting to grow in strength because I know as a warrior that fighting for the destinies of people, that the battle is hard fought and it's grueling and it hardly ever comes to a satisfying conclusion in the first skirmish. If it does, it only means that someone somewhere has done the fighting before we got to it to bring it to this point. There are people that I have loved, people that I have battled for for decades. Decades. Peter says, because of the nature of our struggle, You have to have the capacity to tolerate delay, trouble, and suffering without walking away upset and disappointed. You have to be passionately patient. I love the phrasing, I hate the work that it takes to get to passionately patient. I've asked that you find a person to serve, a person to love and to encourage and to battle for, and that you would commit to doing it for one full year. This will teach you something of passionate patience. Peter carries on and he says, to passionate patience, endurance godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Peter gets personal and starts to talk about the way that we respond, the way that we connect, the way that we relate with both God and with people. Be patient in your endurance, but also be godly. The ability... When when he says be godly, it's the ability to be reverent towards God. Reverence is the, the ability to deeply respect God in such a way that it affects how we think and how we act. I love when I, I see relationships that are built and, and founded on respect. It inspires me. There, there are so many examples that I could use, but I want to refer to one that I've been watching for over a decade. 
There, there's a man in our movement who is a very gifted, very articulate leader in his own right. However, he has chosen for over 30 years to serve the leader of our movement. Mark Kelsey has been moved many times by Pastor Phil Pringle. He's been moved to various assignments throughout the years. One moment he's in Sydney, Australia, as associate pastor. The next moment I see him in Long Island, New York, planting a church. He's pastored the main campus at C3 Oxford Falls. And now, right now, he's traveling the world, working with church plants in the C3 movement. Mark could have, on his own, planted a church, and and I'm sure that it, it would be a strong, healthy, large church. But he's chosen instead to, to be faithful, to, to respect the call of Pastor Phil. And so one day, I, I cornered Mark at a, at a conference, and we were standing in the corner, and I just, I just asked him why he had had done that exactly? Why, why didn't he go out on his own? Why, why had he not gone anywhere and done anything that, that, that he wanted to do? And he told me that God had given him an assignment in the very beginning of his ministry, and the assignment had been serve Pastor Phil's vision, whatever he asks, do whatever he is, asks you to do to fulfill that vision. He has a deep reverent love and respect for his leader and has committed his life the way that he speaks, the way that he acts to reflect on the vision, on the attitude of his leader. If you've met Mark Kelsey, you've met Pastor Phil. Mark Kelsey is an ambassador, a representation of the leader and has the authority of that leader wherever he goes. And you and I, we've been called to that reverence, to that position of being an ambassador, of of being a representative of how Christ speaks, how he acts, how he loves, wherever we are. In order to do that, we have to be in reverent awe of who God is. That, That happens when we consistently, honestly, regularly present ourselves to him and allow him to change how we look at life, how we react to circumstances, how, how we speak. Peter says, Bill, I need you to work on your godliness. I need you to remember that everything that you need is, is in you. God is in you, but you have to hone, you have to sharpen that part of your life. And then there's the discipline of warm friendliness. Peter is calling for a fervent, practical caring for other people. Those are for you. Those people who stand with you and help you and love you and encourage you, but also for those who stand against you. You hear me say it so very frequently, relationship is everything. 
In, in this, this walk of faith, relationship is everything. I, I understand something of the, the importance of relationship, and so I have trouble being patient with people who are careless in their relationships. I, I have difficulty with people who are consumed with their call and unconcerned about anybody else. I, I struggle with people when they are rude, when they're difficult with others, when they disregard somebody because they're different or they stand opposed to whatever we stand for. I, I have to admit, I, I'm a news junkie, but I have had to start pulling back on my listening of news because I just about... Do you remember the the Three Stooges and 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 Mo when he really would get very often when Christians get on the news I'm going you know how they use terms that are derogatory and and mean spirited and I'm better than you are Peter says no. No, no, no. Warm friendliness. Listen, listen to the words of Jesus. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Peter says, walls will eventually melt, hearts will eventually soften when you train yourself to be warm and friendly to the people that God has put in your pathway. How many of you have, have ever just cottoned up to a, a teacher that was mean? Or a neighbor who was rude? It, it doesn't work that way, does it? You're attracted to warm friendliness. Let that be developed in you, Peter says, so that you can melt hearts change atmospheres. Finally, generous love breaks walls. We've been talking about walls for several weeks now. We've, we've talked about how worship puts in some, some holes so that you can start making some entrances and how, how, how love and Kindness makes a difference, and, and you can at least speak to them and, and gain some kind of rapport. But Peter now says this, generous loves, love breaks walls. The, the love that is spoken of here is a, is a love that desires the highest good for others. Like the love that's described in, in John, 1 John 4, verses 9 to, 11, 9 to 11. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take our sins away. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other like that. Generous love breaks walls. It's, it's not passive. 
It, it's not intellectual love that, that makes a statement, but it's an active, demonstrative love that is shown through generosity. That, that lavishes, that, that pours out, that goes the second mile, that does above and beyond what was expected of it. Next weekend, we kick off our season of generosity. We will have 20 families that will need to be adopted. We will have 200 households in this community that we will send a $25 gift card to Superstore to. We want to show generous love in the hope that it will be part of the strategy that breaks down the walls that separates people from the love and life of God. A few years ago, I just sort of walked up and down this street, and um, I asked people that I ran into what they knew about the building on the corner of Marbank N36, the, you know, the, the one with the steep roof and the green on the outside. Did they know what it was? Some said it was a community hall. Some thought it was a religious club. Some thought it was an Amway building. That was interesting. Um, a few knew that it was a church, and I said, well, if it's a church, would you ever go there? Well, I, I don't think I can. I, I, I don't think I'm like them, and I don't think that they would like me. Some said, all they want in churches is your money. And so as a result of that, we started putting money in their hands. That really messed them up. They didn't know what to do with that. Jesus says, or Peter says here, generous love breaks walls down. That's what we're all about. Season of generosity. Verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive, the more useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Again, we're back to the, the, the verses that are packed with meaning, but I only have moments to talk about them. We, we have a call on our life, and, and we are called to be in relationship with God and with others and join the two wherever we can. And, and Peter says that if you take and work on these seven traits, these seven qualities in partnership with God, you will grow in your ability. You will grow in your call. You will become more productive in your work, more useful, more effective in doing what you know God has called you to do. There is a fulfillment. There is a strength. There is effectiveness that comes when we develop these seven traits. But Peter is practical. He's, he's honest. He says that if we fail to develop these ways, then our sight will be affected. The way that we see life, the way that we see ourselves and, and our mission will either be short-sighted, seeing only the things that are important and relevant to us, or we will become spiritually blind altogether. Missing the big picture of what God is doing and desiring to do in and through us. 
You see, the big picture is important because there's a day coming when each of us will stand before Christ and we will be showing the big picture and the plan, the purpose of God and and where we were to fit into those plans. And and then we will be asked to give an answer, an accounting for when we have what we have done and how we've carried out the call that God has put on our lives. If we are blind, we miss the big picture. And we will stand in shock and disappointment when we're asked to give an account of our, our contribution to the big picture. Well, I, I didn't see it. I didn't know it was there. I was blind. Peter says we, we need to see that we have undergone a life transformation. We were sinners who didn't know our way around this big God picture. But when we have this knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and how He has put us in, in place to war for the destiny of people, we realize that, that the transformation that has made us different people from where we were. Peter really is telling us that what we feed is what we strengthen. If we work on these areas of character and relationship, we become strong, productive, effective in the kingdom plan. If we ignore these areas and feed our own selfish appetites, we forget the big picture and we go back to what we knew before we were forgiven of our sins. Can I have the keys come, please? So, verse 10, So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and and chosen. There's not a person in this room that's not called, not chosen by God for this work of of, of breaking through walls, of, of setting people free. Dear brothers, work hard. Dear sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called. Do these things. You will never... If you do these things, you will never fall away. Then God will give you a a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter calls you, calls me to, to action. Work hard. Prove that you really are among those who know what, what God's up to. Prove that you are really in partnership with God. J- Jesus said it this way. If, if you love me, the, the sign, the The indication, the proof will be that there will be a devotion that will keep you true to my commandments. What I ask you to do, you'll do it. I said that the second letter of Peter's was a warning, and here's one of the warnings. If if you do not commit to this part of the program of, of developing these skills, these traits in your life, in the program of God, then you are in a spiritual danger zone. Do these things. Walk out these seven strengths and traits in your life, and you will, listen, never fall away. That's an important warning. If you, if you don't do it, then there's, there's a danger of you drifting farther and farther away until you can't reach out, can't grab it. 
That's an important warning. It's not an opt-in or opt-out kind of thing. It's It's life. It's vital. It's spiritual health. It's spiritual survival. It also has this glorious promise. It, if you do that, it will open up, and I like how it's translated here, a grand entrance to the eternal kingdom of, of King Jesus. When our kids come home after they've been away for a while, Catherine was just recently in South Africa on a tour. David's been away on trips. When they come home, we, we do everything we can to make it special. We'll go to their favorite restaurant. We'll, we'll do whatever we can to make, make it a glorious entrance because we want them to know we're glad that you're adventurers and we're glad that you go and do stuff, but boy, we're glad when you come home. And, and Peter says this, that when we come home, there's this, this grand, beautiful entrance that we make. More and more as I get older and Paul's laughing because he knows how old I'll be in two weeks. But more and more there's only one commendation, one test of effectiveness, one one approval that I'm looking for and and that I'm wanting to earn and it's to, to stand at that glorious entrance and to look eye to eye with Jesus and hear him say, you've done what I've asked, you've done it well, you've been faithful, you've served me effectively, I've kept rich reward in reserve for this moment, enter in with joy. I'm so glad you're home. The focus for me right now is to break prison walls. Eric says to me this week, is it ever going to get to the place where we can go all the way through? Yeah, it is. But we're breaking prison walls. We're getting to a place where people that we battle for don't nearly escape like last week, but walk out like Lazarus walked out of out of his prison. I want you to stand. Don't you love Peter? Brave enough, the apostle of hope, to say the things that we need to hear this morning as we face a brand new year, as we start to set our face toward 2019 and all that we need to do and all that we need to accomplish so that we can be the people that God wants us to be. There are decisions that have to be made, church. There are decisions that have to be made. There there are investments that have to be surrendered. I've asked you to find a person that you can love, you can serve, you can encourage, you can pray for. I've heard from several of you, but I haven't heard from all of you. Who's your person? Who is it that you're warring for? Who who is it that you're focused on? I've asked that you find an area of service here in this house that somehow, some way you serve just so that you you carry the weight you bear the weight of the house with the rest of us you, you get to understand the cost of, of being here week by week so that people can come to a place of knowing, knowing Jesus I've, I've asked you to commit serving your time, your talent and your treasure investing it into what we do in this house. 
I know that that's a big step of faith for some of you, but I, I say this, that whatever we sow, God says, I promise you'll reap. I'll look after you. My God shall supply all your, your needs according to his riches and glory. So that we can break down walls. We put out your hand.